You're about to listen to the Unleashed Podcast, where you'll be inspired to live a supernatural life and experience the reality of God. If you enjoy this message, do yourself a favor and subscribe. Or if you would like to connect with us further, visit UnleashedChurch.org. we could learn off the tights, that'd be turn off the lights. Come on. So <laughs> we can, uh, I have some, somebody was tracking. I have a visual aid. It does go along with what Julie is saying. What I want you to do, we're going to have a little fun. And so you're going to see some things that look weird. Um, but as you see them, and as, I, as we have a strobe effect as well, Anyone has a problem with seizures, we'll pray over you and you'll get healed of that too. Okay. Here's what I want you to see first. This is called Faith Sees. This quote of Bill Johnson. Without seeing your present circumstances through God's eyes, you will spiritually die. So what we're going to talk about today is how to see with the eyes of faith. How do you do that? How do you not see through your eyes but God's eyes? So let's go to the examples. The, uh, it doesn't matter. Just throw any of them up there. Okay. How many of you, this is familiar to you? You've seen this before? Okay, a few people. So most of you have not seen this before. So let me ask you, which line is longer, the top line or the bottom line? Can you guys see it over here? Same length? Who thinks the bottom one is longer? How, yes. How, does the bottom one look longer? Yes. Do you know why the bottom one looks longer? Because you can see those two ends. If I were to go up here, and I'm not going to, but if I were to go up here and block both of those so all you could see was the lines, it would be very obvious to you that both these lines are exactly the same length. They look different lengths because of what you can see, not because of what you can't see. Okay, do you follow so far? Let's have some more fun. Next slide. Okay, look at this picture. Now, this is a weird one, so you have to keep looking at it, and different things will start going off in your brain. You'll see it and go, oh, whoa, what, what's that? Does anyone see to a guy, a, 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 like a mariachi guy, playing a guitar next to another mariachi guy? Who sees that? Oh, good, a lot of you guys do. Who does not see that? Okay, some of you don't see that. Do you see the old people looking at each other? Okay, most of you guys see that. Do you see anything else? Do you see a cup? Do you see a cup? Yes. Do you, does anyone see a woman in the door of a window? Okay, some of you do. So how many of you guys feel like you see everything up here? There's a whole bunch of different things to see. Do you realize how you have to let your mind switch from one to the other to kind of pull out, to go back? Because if you can't see the mariachi guy Here's his mustache. That's his hat. Here's his guitar. Do you see it now? Here's the woman in the window. The guy's ear. So like his earwax is the woman. And I think probably the guys, the old people looking at each other is most obvious. Okay, go to the next one. Okay, look at this picture. What do you see right off the bat? What's the first thing you see? A seal? And a polar bear, what's the polar bear doing? Trying to get out of the water. Do you see them both at the same time? You can kind of see them both at the same time, but it flips back and forth in your, your mind, right? Okay, see, is that, that's the fourth one, right? Okay, one more. Oh, yeah, here we go. Okay, look at this. Look at these lines. Which line is longer, the bottom line or the top line? The black one. Thank you. Thank you that we have people like that in our church. Okay. Which line looks longer? The top looks longer. But in fact, both the yellow lines are exactly the same length. What makes them look different? Yes, it's perspective of distance. What you can see, not what you can't see. That's what actually makes them, when I, if I were to block things that make it look like that, like if we were to take out all of the black, it would look exactly the same. Okay, 
The way, you can go ahead and turn on the lights now, thank you. The way your mind is designed by God to see is the same way your spirit is designed by God to see. There's no difference. The only difference is you don't know that. So here's, here's what I mean. You know how Jesus always said, he who has ears to hear, eyes to see, he said this a lot. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about spiritual eyes. How does your heart see? What does he see? So God began speaking a whole bunch of things to me about this and how important it was to get his perspective on everything that's going on in your life and everyone else's life. See, Julie was going back to what she knew for the healing, but it wasn't what God saw. She had to step back, listen, hear what God saw, then move in that realm, and that brought the healing because she was able to see what he was doing. Remember when Jesus said, I can't do anything? The Father is not doing. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what I see the Father doing. Okay, so watch this. Review last week, and I want to do this I'll do this part quickly. If you weren't here last week, quick review for you. We went over vision. We went over corporate vision and individual vision. What is vision? How does it work in your heart? Why does God do all kinds of stuff? So we talked about where our church is going as a church. What, not just goals. I mean, some of them are kind of like goals, but we talked more about vision. We talked about how you cannot get to where God wants you by hating where you are. You have to love where you're going to go. When you fall in love with the vision, you go there. Remember I talked about people who hate where they are? I hate being fat. Remember when I told you, I'm not saying that, I'm quoting people, I'm, I don't think I'm fat. Anyway, people will come to me and they'll say like, they'll say, I hate being fat. Remember I told you I was a personal trainer for a number of years, and they, they would say, I hate being fat. And I knew that person would never make it. Instantly, and I would tell them, you're never gonna make it, you will quit in two weeks. And why did I tell them that? I tell them that because you will never get to a positive by hating a negative. So I said, you cannot lose the weight you want to lose hating looking the way you do. You need to fall in love with the, where you want to be. And when you fall in love with where you are now inside and then have, fall in love with where you want to be outside, it will pull you into where you want to go. And those are the people that succeed, that get a vision they see it, they fall in love with it, and it begins to pull them forward, and it stops being the white knuckle. It starts being an actual vision that pulls you into the kingdom. It, like, grabs onto your heart and pulls you forward. And we've lost this art, if it, I can say that, a lot, not completely, but a lot in the, in the body of Christ. God wants to give us a vision. He wants to give you a dream for your individual life, for your family, and for your church body, if this is your church body, if this is where you go, even if he's not, give you a dream for wherever church you do go to. But he's impregnating you with it, and it pulls you into it. So here's what I want to go over. We talked about this is the core of our church. I'll go over this real quickly. The core of our church is the simple gospel, the simple gospel, meaning Jesus Christ died, he rose again, and simple faith in him, you're 100% clean and pure and washed of your sin, and you are born again to new life. You are completely a new person and a new creation in Christ Jesus, and it is all done. So everything you do from this point on comes from victory. You're not working for victory. Your entire life must come from rest, not from work. It's got to come from, it's already done, so therefore everything I do is not striving. It's just, a, it, it's an outgrowth of relationship and resting in my identity in Jesus. And I wasn't the first one to say this, but trust me, lovers always get way more work done than workers. Always. Especially in the kingdom. He, so what I'm trying to say is, this is the, the core of who we are. When we can rest in the simple gospel, then God, I see the simple gospel as like a house. And then all the other things that come as an outgrowth of the simple gospel are decorations in the house. 
And I don't know that God has been able to decorate his house very much because the foundation doesn't seem to be there all the time. We're always trying to work. And God's like, you are 100% changed. You are saved. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are born again. You are free. You are holy. You will never be more holy than you are right now or less holy than you are right now because your holiness depends on him, not on you. It's his holiness that washes you clean. And what the grace is, is the empowerment of God to walk in what's already true over you. People call that holiness. That's just walking out what's already true. Do you see what I mean? I'm working from victory. I'm not trying to be holy. I already am holy. So you walk in your identity from where I am to where I'm going to go. I'm already holy. So therefore, every action will begin to conform itself to the image of Christ. Because I'm starting where I already win. You guys follow any of this? This is the simple gospel. Simple gospel. So we, one of the things that, that is the foundation of our church is Hepzibah, which is Isaiah 62. I won't go over it. Isaiah 62, our identity in Jesus is Hepzibah. If you know what Hepzibah is, that means you've been coming here long enough. Somebody shout out, what is Hepzibah? God you. The Lord delights in you. God delights in you. He's restoring right now in these times that God delights in you. Isaiah 62, he delights in you. He lights up because you were born. He is like excited that you're alive. Hepzibah, the Lord delights in you. Isaiah 62. Then we, so our scripture, one of our main scriptures is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I will preach the finished work until I die. I will preach it until I die. The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and us walking in faith, washed clean, new creations in Christ Jesus, going to change the world. I don't know, if you're a believer, I don't know that all of you are, but if you're a believer in here, I, I don't know why you are, but I'll tell you why I am. I've met a lot of people who became believers because of the hell thing, you know, somebody was like, you're going to hell and you're a sinner, da, 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 so rattle off this prayer. So in case you die or raptured, then you won't burn or something like that. I know a lot of people came to the Lord like that. That's okay. I'm not like dogging. I'm just saying that's how some people came to the Lord. I did not give my life to the Lord because of that. Like, I wasn't scared necessarily of that. So when people are like, you're going to hell, say this prayer, it just seems so trite to me. In fact, that very thing is what drove me away from God. Because I kept thinking, like, this is all Christianity is, is, like, we just rattle off some prayers, and then we're just forgiven sinners, and our life sucks, but thank God we get to go to heaven. And I thought, ah, it just bothered me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying there's not elements of it that are true. It just bothered me. When I actually gave my whole life to Christ, I gave it to the Lord for one reason, and it really was one reason. I wanted to be a better lover, and I could not, and all my searchings of religion, which I had long searchings of religion, find a better lover than Jesus. So I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be a better lover. I wanted the rest of my life to be characterized by broken, laid down love that people would know the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. That's why I'm a believer. And I've, my whole life will be the rest of that. So I don't believe in leaving a church service discouraged. I don't believe in leaving a church service shamed. I don't believe in leaving a church service feeling bad about yourself. I think those are all wrong. I don't think you've gone to church if you left feeling like that. I think you should leave feeling encouraged, filled, free, absolutely in Jesus every time we come together. Or we didn't have church. We just had a bunch of people singing songs. So... The last uh, couple more course, victorious eschatology. I will preach victorious eschatology till I die too. Eschatology is a study of the end times. I'm not going to preach that everything gets crappy and it's a necessary requirement for the Lord's return. So everything's going to burn up and be horrible and we'll cheer it on when bad things happen because maybe Jesus will come back and rescue us. I don't believe that. I will not teach that. I'll teach victorious eschatology that his kingdom is expanding and it will continue to expand until he comes back. 
It won't be perfect, but it'll be as darn well close as we can make it because we're giving our lives fully to the gospel. That spreads, that's powerful, that breaks the powers of darkness. I'm not gonna believe that good things come from God to make Jesus way. He doesn't need any of that. He already said, I'm coming back. Go make disciples of nations. Spread this gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what we're gonna believe. And when things get bad, if something bad happens, we're gonna stand, we're gonna pray against it, we're gonna do what Julie did and listen to the Lord and move exactly how we're supposed to move. And if, if things continue to get worse, we'll dive deeper into Jesus and we'll offer people hope and help no matter what is going on. That's what we're gonna do all the days of our lives. If we stockpile food, it's not out of fear. It'll be so we can give it away if anything happens at all. So people can come to us. There's the answer. They have love. They have Jesus. They know what this whole thing is about. They actually have hope for the future. When the church in America has not had hope, it's been, it's all gonna get bad. It's like, and they call it hope. It's not hope. It all can only get better because you're born and you're here and he believes in you way more than you believe in him. I guarantee you that. So the last thing is the gospel of the kingdom here and now. I will not preach a, a, a gospel message that says, like, say a prayer, your life will suck, and then you die and go to heaven. I'll preach a prayer that Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Go make disciples of all nations, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. He said the kingdom is now. The kingdom of God has come among you. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus preached this over and over and over. Look it up if you don't believe me. Go to a concordance and look up kingdom and look up Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You know you're going to find? Jesus said, the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God has come among you. The kingdom of God is now. It's now. It's now. We're not waiting to die to go to heaven. Heaven has died to come live in us. That's what's happened. And so now that he's in us, we get to bring the kingdom to earth through laid down love. And we get to see people be healed because that's just one aspect of the kingdom. This is who God has made us, and we do this, and we believe this. We're not victims. No one in here is a victim. We are victors in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't mean to say that. I understand some people have been molested and abused. They've been victims. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say our, our mentality cannot be that of under siege. Our mentality of that is we've already won. Let's walk out the victory. That's what it has to be. So that's our theology and the outgrowth of our theology, the practical things that we are going to see in the future. We want to see a 24-7 house of prayer and worship. I want to raise up out of our church a room attached to our building where it is literally 24 hours a week, a week, <laughs> maybe we start with 24 hours a week, maybe that's prophetic, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, worship and prayer. So you can come, any of you can come, anyone can come from anywhere. I talked about a trucker that's like falling asleep and is hurting in his marriage, sees this billboard on the side of I-25 and 160th or whatever that says 24-7 house of prayer, come on in, we'll pray for you. And he can pull over at three o'clock in the morning and he can come in and you have a worship band just like this one, lifting prayers to Jesus, praising his name. And, you have, and he comes forward and someone can pray with him right there, three, four o'clock in the morning, five, six, seven o'clock in the morning, that anyone can come from our city at any time and go to our house prayer. And there's people there loving Jesus constantly. If you have a friend who's struggling, you go, dude, it's one o'clock in the afternoon, whatever day, whatever time, let's go to the prayer room and seek Jesus right now for your life. Does that sound good? This is what I want to see happen. I believe it's what God's called us to do. Another sign of our church is going to be miracles, signs, and wonders. Believing for the impossible. Believing for the impossible. No matter how crazy it is, we'll just believe God. We'll believe and we'll believe and we'll believe. And I believe he's going to show us the truth. So we're also going to stand for the goodness of God. We're going to talk about the goodness of God until it sounds heretical. I think I just laugh at you know what I'm saying. Some of you know what I'm saying. We're going to talk about the goodness of God until we can't talk about it anymore. Um, an extravagant giving. I have this vision to give a million dollars a week away to the poor. I want as a church us to be able to go and give a million dollars a week away. I have a vision for this. It's been in my heart. I'm just believing God. I'm going to go for it. And we'll start small. We already have been. Some of you guys don't know, we have given away so much money as a church that you don't even know about. <laughs> you know, sometimes I had to go to the board, can we give this money away? But we're, we're giving money away constantly. Somebody's struggling, we're giving it away. We want to bless people. I'm not here to build a kingdom unto ourselves. We're here to, like, bless people and give it away. And every time we've given some away, God has put more in. We keep getting more. I mean, we give it away and it keeps coming more. This is a fact. It's amazing what God has been doing. So I won't even tell you the details because I don't want to like lose the reward that would come to the church, but we've been giving stuff away just so you know. <laughs> okay, here is the, 
line that shot out from me. Uh, my friend uh, Bill, Leon, uh, posted this thing. And I don't usually read stuff on Facebook because usually Facebook is blick to me. So I don't usually read anything. I usually just see if I have a message and get off as fast as possible. <laughs> you know, I don't know if anybody else feels like that. There's so much yuck on there. I'm just like, Ooh, I don't want to touch this. But anyway, today I saw this thing or not, when I was reading a couple days ago. And I saw this uh, guy's prophetic word. And something popped out at me because it what was, is what was on my heart. And here's the quote. Battles are won and lost at the point of observance, not at the point of engagement. So I'll read that again because you probably don't understand that right away. You will by the end of the sermon. Battles are won and lost at the point of observance, not at the point of engagement. Now, I will spell this out for you and it will make sense. Um, Look at Numbers 13. I think we have Numbers 13 up here. Here is one of my favorite scriptures. It's very famous. You all have heard the story. I'd be really surprised if you haven't. But let's take a look at it. When Moses sent them to spy out the land, remember Moses took 12 spies. Go look at the land. They're on the border of the promised land. They've been freed from Egypt, right? They're standing on the border. There's all these people ready to go. And Moses goes, hey, go check it out. Okay, so, th- so that's what this is. So he sends them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, look, go up there to the Negev, then go up into the hill country, see what the land is like. See whether or not the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or are they like fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or is it lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Actually, now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes, so we're going at a good time. Look at what he asked him to do. He said, go check it out and get some to come back here. Now, let me just, this part's hard, I think, for us to understand because we don't think this way as Westerners. But remember how I said, people have to get a vision. People haven't caught a vision when they can repeat it. They've caught a vision when they can see it. When you can see it, you will go, it will pull you in. When you can see it, not when you can repeat it. So he knows that. That's why Moses said, bring back some fruit because these people can't see victory because they're slaves. Bring back some fruit so you can physically show them. So here's what I want to tell you. One of the jobs of the church, especially in this hour, is to see Jesus move so much into him before he can be seen that when non-believers come in that can't see, that you can go, here's the grapes. Do you see what I mean? Here's the grapes. It's right here. So they can see it. They can touch it. They can feel it. And then they can believe. But part of it is on us right now to so see him before he can be seen. Do you understand? This is hard. I understand. But it's, it's, a, it's an Eastern way to think. It's to, like, see something before it can be seen. And then you experience it before it can be experienced. You live in it before it can be lived. And it becomes your reality so much that it makes reality what you're experiencing around you. Just like Jesus did. He saw what the Father was doing. He went and said, get up. You can walk. And he saw what was going to happen before it did he stepped into it, and he brought the healing from heaven to earth in through him. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I get these looks, and I'm like, I don't know what that look is. Like, they're looking back. I'm like, is this? Anyway, okay. I'll try and, I'll try and do better. Okay. <laughs> so, so he sends them, and he's like, check it out. See how it is. Numbers 27. They come back. Thus they told him and said this. We went into the land where you sent us, and it is awesome. It certainly does flow with milk and honey, which is always strange. I always literally see, like, <laughs> there's some milky and, like, honey rivers. I mean, that's, that's not how it was, but it would be cool if it was. Like, I always see these things. I'm like, I want a honey river. That would be awesome. Give me a honey river. I love honey. Okay. Anyways, um, my youngest, my middle, whatever, my fifth son, my fifth child who is a son, eats all the honey in the house. 
It's unbelievable. <laughs> That's a whole nother. Okay. So <laughs> flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. So they're like, where's milk and honey rivers? And here's literally, here is the fruit. Check this out. And then they say, nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak is a race of giants. So we saw like big people, big people. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites. And there's so many ites in here that we don't even know what to do. We need an ite remover before we even do anything. <laughs> ites are everywhere. If you realize like only the Israelites are okay, all the other ites are bad news. Okay, just so you know, if when you're reading the Bible, just understand. Okay, so, so he's living there. There's a bunch of ites, including the Canaanites. They're living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. So at this point, you feel this buildup. People are panicking. They're like, I can't do this. We can't do this. Like, this is scary. Oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. Like, ah, you feel this panic. And finally, Caleb jumps in, and he goes, hey, shh, shh, just stop. Calm down. That's what Caleb does. Quiet the people down before Moses. And he says this. We should by all means go up. Hold on. Don't freak out. We should by all means go up and take possession of it. For we will surely overcome it. And don't call me surely. Come on. Come on. That was funny. Some of you are like, what does that even mean? Or is that something? Like all the older people are like, that's hilarious. I remember that. Okay. Some of you guys know this. If you, <laughs> Young people are like, what is that? Go, Nate's weirder than usual. Okay, yes, our house is under power lines, and I ate some paint chips before I came, but it's all good. Okay. <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought because, Okay, surely. <laughs> See, now every time, I don't know if there's any more surely's in this, but if there is, every time you guys are going to start laughing. That's okay. We'll keep it light. And every time you read your Bible and you see Shirley, which you're going to see it a lot, make sure you think of this sermon. Okay. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. Like, that's not even true. Were all the men? No, there's lots of other ites that had nothing to do with, like, being giants. But they said, everybody's huge. All the men are of great size. There we also saw the Nephilim. Who are the Nephilim? In Genesis, it talks about the, the, the sons, the God-like ones is literally what it says. The God-like like these half-spirit or whatever, half-human uh, creatures that are ginormous. Goliath was said to be a descendant of the Nephilim. So they're like, they're there. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so then we were in their sight. I want to tell you, how you see you oftentimes determines how everyone else treats you. You see how important it is to understand your identity in Christ Jesus. How you see you does affect how others see you. That's why it's like, oh, the Hephzibah is so important that you know how unbelievably in love God is with you. That Jesus is so in love with you. He's not ashamed of you. He's not disappointed in you. He doesn't wish you were skinnier or fatter or taller or anything. He loves you with a burning love that that is our message. That is who we are. Is to give people this gift. He loves you. I don't know how else to say it any more than that. But here's what we're going to move into. They lost not at the point of engagement. They lost at the point of observance. How they saw is why they lost. Not what they did, but how they saw. Faith sees. 
from God's perspective. Faith sees God. What would have happened if they went out there and here's all these guys, or let's, like David and Goliath, David goes out there and here's this ginormous dude. What does David say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? The Bible's obsessed with circumcision. You think it talks about love? No, 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 no. It's all about circumcision, and that's through the whole thing. Anyway, I don't have time to... Whew, we'll just cut that out. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, sorry about that. that was... Too far? Did I cross the line? Am I still on this side? I don't know. Come on. Okay, so I'm right on the border. I'll, I'll back up. Okay, so anyways, he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Like, you know why he says that? Because he sees God. And he sees God and goes, who is this guy? They could not see with faith. They could only see with their natural eyes. They couldn't see God. Had they seen God, they would have been like Caleb and said, what's the problem? What is the problem? If you are overwhelmed with anything, and I mean absolutely anything in your life right now, it's because you cannot see God. It's that simple. If you are totally overwhelmed with the emotions going on inside you, if you're totally overwhelmed with your finances or a relationship or your job, or whatever, if you are completely overwhelmed by something, it's simply because you cannot see God. Because if you did, that thing would go, Now, this guy's prophetic word was that we're, and I totally agree with him, is we're living in this season right now where this gift is going to be poured out more. Now, it sounds weird, though. God does everything else. I know God's saying yesterday, today, and forever, but there are times in history where things in heaven, God just begins to do something. He really does. He just starts doing stuff that maybe he wasn't doing yesterday, maybe he was, but there's this receptivity that happens in the heart of people. Right now, we're entering into a season as if you will accept it, If you will say, give me eyes to see, he's going to begin to pour out revelation, revelation uncovering to be able to see him, to be able to see him like you haven't seen him before. And the things that seemed like this ginormous obstacles will shrink so fast. How many of you know the enemy is a liar? And he's a loud one sometimes. But no matter how much he jumps up and down and kicks and screams, you don't, I mean, one thing the enemy hates to be is ignored. Ignored out of understanding he pales compared to Jesus in you. He hates that. He would much rather have you get all upset and focus on him. So, Let's, I'll get through a couple of scriptures, and then we'll, um, we'll kind of move into where we're going with this whole thing. We are going somewhere, I promise. <laughs> I hope so. Pray that we go somewhere with this sermon. That would be good. Okay, so faith sees. I just quoted a couple of scriptures just because they're some of my favorites. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, <laughs> the conviction of things not seen. So how do you see them? Faith. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Okay, so watch this. Romans 1.17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Matthew 21. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt... You will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all these things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, I always read this as some kind of white knuckle, gotta believe for this thing, you know, which I'm pretty 
I'm pretty tough about stuff like that. Like, I, my will is like, you can ask my wife. Like, when, when my will clicks in, it's like, I will die before I, you know? I mean, I'm really strong-willed about certain things if I decide something. And I found that wasn't bad. I think God liked that, actually. I don't think that was bad. But this, he was showing me how much more this is. When he says, have faith and do not doubt, here's the deal. The doubt isn't in the thing that will happen. He's not saying, if you doubt that this mountain will be taken up. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, doubting in the thing you're praying for. When he says, if you have faith and do not doubt, he means doubt in who God is. He's saying, doubt in who he is. In him, in the revelation of Jesus Christ in the earth. He's saying, this is the doubt. This is the doubt where we can't move. This is the doubt where we must stand. Not on believing for the circumstance, although that's fine. Let's believe for the change. Let's believe for the healing. That's all good. But the doubt is in him. Because really what you're saying when you don't believe for the thing is you're not believing in him. You're not understanding him and who he is. Okay. We are close enough to a, this is Roman numeral four, we are close enough to a present promised land right now to see the size of the enemy. Okay? Most of us in this room, most of all of us in a season, we have a lot of people, not just us, this is happening all over, have come out of a certain kind of bondage, whether it was theological, whether it was like, um, uh, an addictive behavior. A lot of people have moved out of a certain kind of bondage, and it's all over the map what kind of bondage it was. And you've moved out, and you can feel yourself walking, and you're now on the edge of the promised land, and you're close enough to see the giants. Now, that's not true of everybody. I understand some of you may be in a different place than that. But most of you in here have moved, and now you're on the border of this promised land, and what is big is the giants. That's what you can see, just like they did. So, but our giants, now your giant might be specific to you, but in general, this is what the giants look like right now. Our enemies are number one yesterday. Sometimes our biggest enemies are the failures, letdowns, and relational difficulties and setbacks of yesterday. Which is why last week, remember how I took that step forward? <laughs> We're leaving yesterday behind. You can't look at it and allow it to dictate where you're going to go. We're leaving that behind. Number two, your own hunger can be your enemy. So watch this. Our hunger, not rooted entirely in the kingdom, can lead to frustration, anger, criticism, bitterness, and withdrawal. I think I told you guys this before, but when you get to a point in the Lord where normal temptations, I say normal, like common, that you would think of as like temptations, simply aren't temptations anymore, what the enemy will use to tempt you is the good things in you. He'll take your own hunger for Jesus, switch it, turn it against you, so that you become this like cynical, angry person that is actually rooted in your own hunger. You see how that works? In the kingdom... That doesn't happen. But outside the kingdom, it can become frustration and anger. And then, of course, the last thing is wrong beliefs, which we're trying to change some of those right now. I wrote out a paragraph. I'm just going to read it to you. Because I think we're all on the same page, or we're going to be in a second, you know, literally. We're all on the same screen. Ah. Okay, so I'm going to read this out. I wrote this thing, so I thought, I thought it sounded cool. So, we are all hungry, and we all want more. Almost none of us are satisfied with the status quo either in our personal lives with God or our corporate experience. It's in part why we're here, why you guys are here, why I'm here. But I have learned the trap of the enemy in this area. It's to have this hunger, this desire, this vision growing inside of you and to let our corporate or personal lack dictate our attitudes and our expectations. If you begin to measure fruit by what you hunger for and don't see, you will quickly become either a hater of self or a hater of the church. You'll begin to blame yourself or you'll begin to blame the church for not, not satisfying this hunger for more. Beware of this as it causes isolation, judgment, and self-righteousness. And I will not sit back and watch another, because I saw this with baby boomers as a kid when I grew up, my parents' generation. 
I will not sit back and watch another hungry generation become armchair theologians and church leaders and fall into the trap of believing that they are just so different because of their hunger for what the church can become. The solution is to choose this day to invest and to believe. We have to measure fruit not with what our eyes see, but rather whether or not our spiritual eyes see the truth. Fruit needs to be measured by what your spiritual eyes see. Give me a vision. Give me vision. So, obedience and faithfulness are important and can also be measured as fruit, but it is our determination to see with faith that will mark our legacy. Okay, so here's my call for you today. This is one of my favorite little quotes. Most of you probably heard it. How many of you heard Theodore Roosevelt, The Arena? Okay, cool. Some of you guys haven't. This is one of my favorites. So I'm just going to read it because it's so cool. I don't want to screw it up by paraphrasing it. It is not, and, and think of this when I read this. Think about your own heart engagement. Have you allowed hurt of the past, disappointment of the past, your own mistakes and failures, or a relational hurt from the past, or a letdown, or whatever it is? Have you allowed any of those things to take you out of the game so you won't invest anymore because you're too afraid to be hurt? Ask yourself if that's you, because this is for you. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause. We have a worthy cause right here in our city. 24-7 house of prayer. Blessing the poor. Letting the love of God rock a whole generation of people. Are you engaged? Because now is the time. So he says, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. This is us. This is our call. Let me tell you something. I know this is hard. I know it's hard. I know. I know what it is to get up and fail and get up and fail and get up and fail. I know what it is to have people who love you and are close to you point and say hurtful things to you as you're failing I know what it is to have the critic come at you at your lowest point. I know what this feels like. I know it's hard, and I'm here to tell you that it is completely worth it, and the only way we can live as believers. Totally invested, completely believing, confessing our hurts, confessing our sins, confessing our failures, and standing on the simple gospel again and again and again, receiving a vision and going for it. I don't want anyone in this room ever to reach the end of your life and have a regret that you didn't enter, that you, I was just too afraid, I was too scared, I was too hurt. I'd been hurt too many times by church leadership or whatever. You don't want that. I, was, I wish I would have been there when my grandfather passed. And some of you know who my grandfather is. He's fairly well known in the body of Christ. And I wish I would have been there. But I did get to spend a good amount of time with him. Actually, the day he passed was the day I was supposed to leave to go see him. Um, so that was kind of rough. But 
I got to spend a lot of time with him before he passed. Now, I've, I've been to a, a number of hospices for other people's uh, parents or relatives. You know, I've been there when people have passed. And to see the difference between these people who you can feel hurt and regret on them as they go. Have you ever experienced this? Like, this is, it's a powerful experience. And to, to sit with my grandfather, you know, I, only, I was with him just weeks before he died. And he had such a peace. He had such a peace. He was so ready and no regrets. I'm not saying no regrets. We all regret things we did wrong. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that. People are like, have no regrets. I'm like, I regret everything I ever did wrong. I don't know when people say that. I'm like, you don't regret being horrible to somebody? <laughs> I do. <laughs> like, I would, if I could go back and change it, I would. That's not the kind of regret I'm talking about. I'm talking about the regret that says I didn't go all the way because I was afraid. Do you get what I'm saying? That's the regret I'm talking about. So the last part I wrote, and then we'll close with the scripture. Part of faith, because faith sees, part of faith is not denying reality, but not allowing reality to have influence over our emotional state, state of mind, or our stances. Understand, part of faith is, I don't deny reality. I deny it a place of influence. I don't deny a problem. I deny the problem a place of influence in my life. Do you see the difference? I'm not denying that our city needs Jesus. I'm not denying that some people in here need a healing and maybe you got prayed over and it didn't happen. I'm not denying. I'm not saying, oh, it happened when it didn't. I'm not denying it. I'm simply refusing to give it an influence and a place. That's what faith does. You're not going to have influence over me. It's not just looking at what God is doing. So a lot of people say, well, just look at the good God is doing. <laughs> that always frustrated me. <laughs> I don't know if it frustrated you. I know it's good advice. Like, let's look at what God's doing. But it always kind of frustrated me because it was just like, that ain't helping me, man, because that's not what I want to see. <laughs> you know. But anyways, I understand that's still good advice. But it's not just looking at what God is doing, like seeing the good things, praising him for the blessing and stuff like that. It's more than that. It's seeing what cannot be seen and being overwhelmed with who God is in the midst of our trials in everyday life. It's not just like, let's look at what God's doing and praise him. Oh, that's really important. Let's do that. But it's seeing what can't be seen and being overwhelmed with who God is in the midst of what's going on. This is what faith does. It allows us to see him and everything else pales. We see Jesus, everything else is gone. Everything else just shrinks down, so everything becomes grasshoppers to you instead of the other way around. Do we see Goliath, or we do, do we see how puny he is next to our God? Do we see the giants, or do we just hear the word that tells us to go into the land? It's the last scripture here, 1 Corinthians 2.9. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard... Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them. Them what? The things which eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard. God revealed those things to us through the Spirit. That's Holy Spirit. For Spirit, the Spirit searches all things even the depths of God. You have Holy Spirit inside of you who's constantly searching the depths of God and revealing to you if you listen. For, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God who is where? In you. Now watch this. We, now we have received not the spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. How do you know the things freely given to us? How do you know? By the Spirit of God. <laughs> it's just that simple. Who resides in you right now? If you're a believer. If you're not a believer, you don't have Holy Spirit inside you. Just, that's a very simple fact. If you are a believer, Holy Spirit is in you. And he is burning, and he is speaking, and he's revealing the depths of God, the thoughts of God. 
Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Okay. Power. Ready to power up? Okay. Um, so, this is my... I don't know how to say it. This is not something you can white-knuckle. This is not something you can work. This is something that is born from intimacy and relationship and love of Jesus. And it starts and goes, it doesn't ever happen without the foundation of the simple gospel. Simple gospel. And I will preach it over and over again. That you are pure, you are clean, you are set free, you are holy, you are set apart because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. The moment you had faith in him, you are completely washed clean. You don't have to strive to be holy. You're never going to be more holy than you are the moment you believe. Now your external life will conform to his holiness, but that's just an outward viewing of an inward working. That's all it is. But if you're inside thinking I'm still broken and gross and I've barely forgiven and I'm just a forgiven sinner and that's all I'm ever going to be, and the, that isn't the gospel. And it has no power. It will keep you trapped. So Jesus is here right now. His kingdom is here right now. It's ever-expanding. It's on the believers to see it, to walk in it, to believe it, to never back off from it. That's who we are. How you become the greatest lover ever is to reveal the greatest lover in the universe to everyone you know. That's why we give money away to the poor. That's just one love language. You understand? Like, we're going to love so recklessly, just like the song says. If you want, now here's what I really want to say today. <laughs> Most of you guys, you already know Jesus. Some of you don't. So we'll give you a, a couple of seconds to give your life to the Lord to come before him and say I want to give my whole life to you and we'll give you a second to do that but those of you who already have and even if you haven't I'm actually asking you to sign up in a different way today I'm not saying it's the only reason but it has been my driving reason my whole life God I want you to make me a lover I want you to make me a lover transform me into the greatest lover the world has ever seen has ever known. I want to be a lover. I want to go forth from this place and have love drip off of me so people feel it. Like they touch me, they walk by me, they walk where I've walked, they can feel the love of God. If I go into a store and walk out, people feel the love of God and it stays there for a while. This is what I want to be. This is my heart. It has always been my heart. It's why I gave my life to the Lord. Transform me into a lover. See, to me, the healings are amazing and they're great. You know what they are? It's just another love language. It's another way to say, look how loved you are. Look, at, you just got healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. You just got healed because he loves you. All the gifts of the Spirit, the prophetic, the words of knowledge, you know, when someone's like, hey, this and that, they say like, you work at this place and, and you're, you know, your boss has named this and they name your kids and you're like, whoa, how'd you know all that? That's just another expression of love so you know that God knows you. He loves you. He hears. He's coming to bring people to you. Every spiritual gift is a tool of love. Every spiritual gift. Teaching, pastoring, it's all the tools of love. All of it is. So how about this today? We're going to say, Lord, transform me into a lover. And the ultimate lovers can see with faith. The ultimate lovers can see what cannot be seen. I'm not saying you can't if you don't. I'm just saying that's the that's where we're going as lovers. Transform me now. So let's go ahead and just stand together. Let's just pray. So we're gonna invite Holy Spirit. We if you're new to our church, we uh I'll just pray as soon as I'm done praying. You're, you're welcome to stay and just come before the Lord and just say, God, touch my heart. Like, move me in you. Change me into that lover. Just bring me alive. Whatever, just to come before me. Like, give me eyes to see. If you want your eyes to see, sometimes I'll even lay hands on my eyes and just say, God, let me see. Let me see with your eyes. Let me see with faith. I want to live in what isn't even here yet before it's here. So I'm going to start to pray that. 
if you need to go, that's totally fine. If you need to leave, you have a place to go, whatever, you're, you're totally blessed to do that. We just bless you to do that, to have the most amazing week you've ever had, to be filled this whole week. But those of you standing who are just going to take a couple minutes, I'm just going to speak to you right now. If you're standing and we're coming before you, we're coming before the Lord and we're saying, God, transform me into the ultimate lover. The ultimate lover. I'll be the most loving father. I'll be the most loving husband. I'll be the most loving wife. I'll be the most loving daughter, the most loving friend. Right now, let's just come before him and say, God, make me, make me that. Transform me now. Give me eyes to see. Let me see with faith right now. Transform me. I give you my whole life. If you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if this whole time, you, you maybe you didn't even know what I was talking about, but something was burning in you, I'm just going to ask you to just close your eyes right now, and we're going to come before him. And right now, just say, Lord Jesus, just come into me. I invite you, and I give you my whole life. I believe in you, and I give my whole life to you right now. I surrender my life. I surrender my body. I surrender everything that's me. And I give it over to you right now. And I believe. And I say yes to all things you. Give my whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Take me. Take me. Take this. Take my life. And make it what it was always meant to be. So let's just pray. We'll, we'll just come before the Lord and then you... You know, you can keep on pressing in. I just ask that if you, if you do want to leave, if you don't want to continue to press in, just go ahead and go, uh, please stand out in the hallway if you want to just talk and hang out and, you know, just be with each other. That's totally fine, too. Get somebody, whatever. I'm just asking to respect those who might want to press in a little longer. So. Lord Jesus, we just come before you and we praise you. And we love you. You are so glorious. You are so amazing. Lord, let your love fall right now. Hit our whole congregation, Lord. Let your love begin to just descend in this place. Touch every heart, God. Touch minds, Lord. Begin to rearrange spirits, God. Let forgiveness flow. Let repentance flow. God, let freedom flow in this place right now. Let your love begin to transform everything about this room. Top to bottom, God. Let everyone who's standing in this place encounter your love and never be the same again. God, begin to just move on places that have been hard in people's hearts. Move on places that have been hurting in people's hearts. Lord, move on places that have questioned and given up and thrown in the towel. Lord of God, I ask you right now, we begin to touch those places. Your love would pour out on them, God, that they would know you so deeply that they would never turn back, that they would be healed, they'd be delivered, they'd be set free. All the past, all the present, everything, God, right now, let an encounter happen, Lord, where they're never the same, where they can't get off the floor, God, where they can't stop being at the, your hem and saying, I love you back. I love you back. Let your love be so real in this place. Let your love be real in your church. Let your love be real right now. Let it go across this room and don't let it stop. Let it go deeper and wave after wave after wave. Let your, your presence begin to just devour us, God. Let your presence devour us. We are your people and we're saying yes to you. We're saying yes to you at every single level. So God, I'm asking for an anointing to hit the eyes of the heart in this room. Let us see with spiritual eyes. Let us see with faith. Let us see you. Let everything else pale in comparison to you. Let us see you compared to our problem. Let us see you compared to our struggle. Let us see you compared to the call that you've given us that seems way too big and way too hard. Let us see you next with holding our hands. If God is for us, who can be against us? So right now, he is with us. He is for us. He is not backing up. There's no judgment in this room. You are not ashamed. If you're going like, I don't know what I believe and I feel nothing, it's okay. He still loves you just as much as he did if you believed 100%. So right now, God, we just wash all of that off. And Lord, let your presence begin to manifest and touch people's hearts and minds and lives and spirits and just go crazy in this room, God. Begin to just unlock us. Unleash this room. Unleash our church. Unleash everyone in here. Unleash North Denver. God, unleash Colorado. Unleash our country, God, right now. Let your presence fall and spark the greatest awakening the world has ever seen. Lord, let people come from all over the place. Lord, let young people get saved and rocked and touched. Increase in miracles and signs and wonders, God. I just declare an increase right now through Julie's word as the first 
fruit of a massive wave of healing in Jesus' name. God, let your let miracles and signs and wonders begin to increase in here. Cancer fall off. If you have back pain, I rebuke back pain right now in Jesus' name. I command your back to straighten and all the discs to be well in Jesus' name. God, I've asked you to begin to just every disease, every pain, we speak and we just break the power of the enemy over any anyone's life in this area or any area. Be completely set free. Lord, let your power come. Let your fire fall. God, let things change in hearts and minds. Let everything begin to shift around. Let your joy come. Let your glory come. Let your fun come. Everything begin to move in Jesus' name. God, that we are so in love with you that everything changed. No works. This isn't hard. That it is resting in you. And God, I ask we begin to rest in you and just continue to love no matter what. We just love you and we praise the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to our podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, guys. So cool. 